Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Stan. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I also uh, want to share with you uh, something that I do in my spare time is uh, I like to contemplate different questions. And uh, so this subject of Trinity is something that I contemplate. But uh, what I've realized is that uh, in that contemplation, there's also an invitation. Uh, you know, God is, God is in large ways unknowable, but then there are parts of him that are very knowable. And the parts of him that are very knowable are the parts he really wants us to grab hold of because they relate to us. And so that's kind of the, the message of the series in that we're gonna, we, we start off with a very philosophical, very uh, out there kind of concept of Trinity. And what we're trying to do is bring it down to relational because basically the Trinity talks about relationships. If you want to think about it, uh, it may be that God is more than three persons, that he's just revealed himself as three persons to us because that's all we, he, he knew we could handle. And he may be multiple people. And when we get to heaven, we're going to see multiples. But what we know is he's revealed himself in three persons, so that is where he wants us, he invites us to be, make the application to our lives. So I want to start off with a question that uh, I contemplate every once in a while, and it's this question. Is God limitless? And, you know, you may think, well, sure, God is, has no limits, right? But I would, I would invite you to think about this. God never does anything bad. He never does anything evil. So is that a limit? Or think about this. God would never do anything to make something of an unfair or unjust thing. Yet those things exist. So does that mean that God has limits? I'm not going to answer that question for you, all right? But I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to let you kind of think about that because the subject I'm going to talk about today is a subject that's known as boundaries, and in in uh, psychology and counseling, boundaries are where you define who you are as separate from who other people are, and you don't allow. Basically, boundaries is the ability to say no to a person. One of the strengths that I have, that there's a thing called strength finders. One of the strengths that my top strength is harmony, which means that I have a very, very hard time saying no to people because I want to make them happy, right? That, that's part of being harmonious. And sometimes, right, when we think of God, maybe, maybe we don't think about it, but Really, God's intention for us is to be happy, to have joy, the Bible calls it. So what does that mean? What, do, what does it really mean that God wants us to have joy? So what I want to do is kind of look at some verses here. And the first verse is uh, taken from John 
And it's Jesus saying this. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Son does, that the, whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. So one of the things about Trinity is each of the persons are fully God. So there's no, no one that is greater than the other. And so when, when Jesus is saying, I do nothing of my own accord, it's basically a limit. He's limiting himself to who he is, defined by what he sees the Father do doing. Okay? So that is kind of like what Kaz said, that you have these different people, but they work in one accord. And that's kind of what being able to understand boundaries is if you don't set limits on who you are you will not really have harmony what you will have is unresolved hostility because you you'll, you're going to feel like somebody's stepping all over you you're going to feel like you're oppressed you're, you're going to feel like you aren't known and all these things will enter into your relationship and kind of pollute that relationship and so in the end, you really don't have harmony. What you really have, if you look at it, is chaos. And chaos is good in one sense, in that it reveals something is out of whack. But in another sense, it's not meant to be the way we're supposed to live life. That God brought order into our life. Okay? So let me look at an, let's look at another verse in chapter 5 of John. I can do nothing on my own accord. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So in order to have truly harmony with boundaries, the key is this, which is humility. And humility is not the same as letting someone just have his own way. Humility is where uh, your confidence is properly placed. So if you know who you are and you live in that, that's being humble. And if you let somebody else define who you are, that's not really humility. Okay? That is basically giving away who you are maybe not even at your own discretion. It's, being, it's walking into being oppressed. Okay? There's a third person of the, of the Trinity, and that's the Holy Spirit. And this is what the Holy Spirit's described in John 14. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said. So the key part I wanted to, to mention here was that the Father sends the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. So the Holy Spirit is actually submitted to two other persons in the, in the Trinity. And this word helper, if you look at the Greek, it, the, the Hebrew equivalent of helper is when Adam and Eve, or when man and woman were created, that God called the woman a helpmate, right? Or helper. It's the same word. Okay, so 
which says that it was not it was women were not to be subservient to men because the Holy Spirit is not subservient to, to the Father and Son. But in that act of humility, that is what the role is. Okay, so God and boundaries has the key is humility, and there's a verse in, in Ephesians that Paul says this: submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, which if you look at the Greek in the the word submitting is the word hupotasso, okay? I'm not like Kotz. I don't have that program that will put it in the Greek language, okay? So I, this is the English equivalent, but it's hupotasso, okay? And that's about all the Greek I know. So, and basically what it means is to subordinate, to be under obedience, submit yourself unto, okay? So it's the idea of you aren't forced to do something, you willingly do this in order to allow for basically both parties to be who they are, okay? And um, so if the, the key to this boundaries, I believe, is humility. So boundaries are not meant to be something that you define who you are and you force people to accept who you are. But boundaries are part of being able to submit, understanding who you are, and then being able to, to consciously or willingly, intentionally submit to one another. But not out of obligation, not out of guilt, not out of all these negative things, but just because you seek the, the betterment of the whole, okay? And what that leads to is that this I sometimes is this idea of, well if everybody did that then nobody would ha ever have any conflict right everybody would get along and for a person of harmony that sounds so good right but if you look at the trinity those are perfect individuals right and in Luke chapter 22 we have this verse and it says this and he that's Jesus withdrew from them and the them is that he brought some disciples into the garden of Gethsemane about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus knew from the time he was born, or even before he was actually born on this earth, the purpose of his coming to earth was to die on a cross. It was not something that was just suddenly sprung on him, but he knew it. This is right before this is going to happen. And in his will, right, as, as an individual will, he's saying, I don't want to do this. Okay? But I'm willing to do it if this is the only way. So being submitted does not mean that you automatically acquiesce to things and you, you bury your feelings. Being submitted means that you bring those feelings out into the relationship and allow there to be an interaction in that. And that's what was modeled here, at least part, part of what was modeled here. There's a lot more that, that's modeled here, but we're going to look at just that, that. So how does that all that apply? And I, and uh, I thought I could apply this. In the, the cross was like God's workplace, right? That this was where he was, he was doing work. And so most of us have 
been involved in workplaces. So I want to apply this to a workplace situation, okay? So the workplace application I want to look at is Paul and Barnabas. And Paul and Barnabas are, maybe you're familiar with, with them, but uh, one of the things about Paul and Barnabas is that uh, they are known to be uh, leaders in the church, okay? So they're very godly men. And we're going to look at, everyone kind of knows Paul. He's, he was also called Saul, right? And he was this godly man, right, that had this tremendous encounter with Jesus and, and, and all of this. But he was also a man who uh, was not really known to, to worry about what other people think. So in a sense, he was not, I don't think he had my uh, strength of harmony. Uh, I think he was more uh, a person of wanting to make sure everybody did the right thing, did everything the right way, okay? Nothing wrong with that. Barnabas, on the other hand, I, would, I, I tend to be more closer to his personality, and that's what we're going to kind of look at, focus on. But uh, if you want to know about Paul, I think there's a movie called Apostle Paul, right? Or you can look in the, in the books of Acts. But, but Paul is, is basically this guy who, uh, in a, there's a personality profile called DISC, right? This stands for Dominant Influencing uh, com, uh, steady, compliant, right? I would characterize Paul as, as pretty dominant. Okay, he's a D, <laughs> all right? He, he's not afraid to, to say what he thinks, right? And we're going to see that. But, but Barnabas is a different personality. And one of the things I want you to see is that Barnabas is uh, actually... Uh, one of the first real examples in the early church. So let's, the first time we're met, we meet Barnabas in, in, the, uh, in the Bible is Acts chapter 4, and it says this. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold the field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So two things here, right? Barnabas... His given name was Joseph, but the, the, the apostles gave him the name of Barnabas. And Barnabas means son of encouragement. So Barnabas w encouraged, I believe, by action and also by word. Okay? And one of the things that said a Levite, okay, a Levite is of the tribe of Levi, which means a priestly tribe. So he, he was schooled in the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, okay? A native of Cyprus, okay, that's uh, Greek, so he's familiar with Greek culture and things. And he apparently was a man of means because he had a field that he sold money, a substantial amount of money, and gave it to the apostles. So this guy was successful in the business world. He was uh, probably a person who really people like to be around because if, if you get the name Son of Encouragement, that usually means that you encourage people, right? Unless they have a different definition of encouragement, all right? But one of the things is that 
he, I believe, was a person who always looked for potential in individuals. And that's what I really relate with, okay? Because I, part of my ministry, I feel, is I look for potential in individuals and try to actualize that potential in God, okay? And so this is, this is Barnabas, okay? Next time we, we read about Barnabas is in chapter 9. This is right after Paul is converted, and he there is Paul, okay? And it, and it says, And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. So, you know, Paul, if you know his history, was killing the Christians, right? So it's kind of natural that, what, he wants to join us? You know, that doesn't seem right. And next verse says this. But Barnabas took him, Paul, right, Saul at that point, and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So Paul, so Barnabas took Paul and, his, and used his own reputation, his own standing with the other apostles, and he said, listen, this guy is on our side. He has changed. So Barnabas took a real risk, right, in, in one sense, because Bar- he was just taking the word for it. You know, he'd see, he had seen some other things about preaching boldly and things, but this thing about uh, how he'd seen the Lord uh, on the road to Damascus, he, Barnabas wasn't there. He had, to take, he had to take Paul's testimony for that, or the testimony of maybe Ananias. So Barnabas really believed in Paul, right? I, mean, I think he w- that was consistent with the person that he was. Next time we, we read about Barnabas is in Acts 11, and it says this. The report came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to be, remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And, he brought, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. I just kind of skipped over. Uh, After Paul, or Saul, is introduced to the the church in Jerusalem, he goes out and and starts to try to convert the Jews, which was completely natural because he's very schooled in that. He refutes all their arguments, but they just get mad at him. And so he doesn't really have any converts. He just stirs up this hostility and things. So they tell him, Saul, Saul, go home. And so he's sent off to Tarsus, which is his home. Okay? And Barnabas is, stays in the church, right? And then there's a new church founded in Antioch, which is a Gentile church, right? So they decide, well, who should we send to minister to them, to help them? And they say, Send Barnabas, right? And so Barnabas is is schooled, right? He, he knows the the uh, teachings and things. He's also a man of full of the Holy Spirit, right? 
So he's very in touch, very, very godly person. So they send him, right? And, it, and the church grows, right? And church is growing. So what, does Paul, so, so what does Barnabas do? He says, I need to have some help here. And who does he decide to get? Saul. So he sends for Saul, and he brings him into a very successful ministry that he had. Great risk, right? He had just, Paul had just been kicked out for stirring up trouble, right? But Barnabas said, no, 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 no. I believe Paul has it. Paul's the guy. So he sends, sends for Paul, or Saul, depending on what you want, and the church even grows greater, right? And people are first called Christians at Antioch, which means little Christ. And basically it was a derogatory term, and it was derogatory because they said they all act like Jesus. That would be a great thing for the church to be known as, that we all act like Jesus, right? So little Christ is what Christians literally mean. So in Acts chapter 13, it says this. Now there was in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. That was a multicultural leadership team, okay? Uh, Simeon, who was called Niger, was probably a, a black person, okay? Uh, Lucius of Cyrene was definitely a Gentile, okay? Uh, and Manan, a lifelong hand, friend of Herod, basically an enemy, right? Herod, Herod was the enemy to the Jews, but he became part of the leadership. And you notice Barnabas is mentioned first, right? So Barnabas, I think, oversaw all those people. And you notice who was mentioned last? Was Saul, okay? But at least he was mentioned, right? He, he was accepted into the leadership, right? So then, the, uh, ap, ap, what goes on later in, in chapter 13 is the Holy Spirit says to set apart two men. And the two men are Barnabas and Saul. And they say, send them out. Send them out to go and preach, okay? And in Acts chapter 14, we read this on, on this particular missionary journey. It says, now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lycodian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas, they called Zeus, and Paul, Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. Okay, uh, Hermes is another word for Mercury, uh, and so it's the messenger, right? So what, what this basically saying is that the, the people kind of saw Barnabas as Zeus, who's the head god, right? And, and Mercury would be giving the messages of Zeus. So Barnabas, even though he wasn't speaking, kind of had this image in the people's minds of, well, this guy is, is the real thing, right? He's the real leader. And Paul was 
was seen and, and did the miracle and things, but it was, it, looked, it was a relationship of submission, right? And then if you read on further, they, they start, they, the people really mess this up because they want to build an altar to them and they tear their things and all kinds of other good stuff happen. Not so good, but happen. And, and so these two men went through a lot of, of trial and tribulation together, but they had an effective ministry. They were affected. They were an effective team. Right. In fact, they were so effective that you would wonder, well, did they ever disagree? And if you read the book of Galatians, which was written uh, probably before Acts 15, but this is what it says there. And it says this, but when Cephas, who is, which is another name for Peter, the apostle, right, came to Antioch, I, and Paul wrote the book of Galatians, so the I is Paul, opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. That's typical Paul, right? Doing something that, that is not right, so he's going to get in people's face about it, right? For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. So he saw that, that Paul, that uh, Peter was basically caving in and, and, and not really holding up to, to uh, what God had called them to be separate and distinct and to include everybody. And then it says this, And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with them, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Okay? So Paul disagreed with Barnabas' position on this, right? And then it says, but when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Which is basically saying, you are being hypocrites. And I'm going to call you out on it. Now, he's including Barnabas in this, right? And Barnabas is is the one who, who did all these things for him, but he called them out. So Paul really doesn't have a whole lot of angst about being able to get in people's faces, which is opposite of me, right? Because what I would try to do is maybe send the guy a letter or let him know in some other way that, well, you know, this isn't really right and things. But now Paul, okay, he's, he's out there, he's doing it. But it didn't break their, their, their connection. And next time we meet them is in Acts chapter 15. And it says this. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we, we proclaim the word of God and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. Now on that first journey, John Mark was going with them. But the first time they ran into to problems, op opposition and stuff, John Mark took off. He said, I didn't sign up for this. I'm out of here. Right? So he, he left them. Right? But Barnabas and Paul kept, kept going through. So Barnabas wants to give John Mark a second chance. Right? Kind of typical Barnabas. Right? And if you remember Paul's story, kind of similar. Right? But Paul's response is this. But Paul thought best not to take them who had withdrawn 
from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement, so they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. Uh, next week, I'm going to get into this passage more. But th- what I wanted to just point out here is, here were two men who had successful ministries together, had worked together, but they had reached a point where they couldn't work together anymore. They had to be who they are. And both of the men knew who they were, and they stood in that. Barnabas did not acquiesce to say, oh, yeah, well, Paul, okay. We'll leave. No, he stuck with, with John Mark. John Mark is better known as Mark, the writer of the Gospels. So it wasn't like Barnabas was, was not seeing potential there or not hearing God. Paul had a very successful ministry. And he, and he planted churches and, and did all these other things. Uh, and so, and next week we'll look at this, but one of the churches he plants is in Corinth. And we're going to see how this relationship turns out. But when you set boundaries, when you be who you are, that does not guarantee harmony. Okay? It de- it. it is healthy. If you don't set boundaries, you will not be healthy. But it doesn't mean harmony. And that's hard for me to, to deal with, right? And, and so that's why I keep asking God, are you limitless? Can't you figure out another way to do this? That I don't have to do it this way? And oftentimes it comes down to what Jesus prayed, Right? Not your will, but my will. Uh, not your, my will, but your will be done. Okay? So some things to think about, okay? Sometimes we try to be everything to everybody. Think about how that feels. Does it really feel good to be everything to everybody? I would, I would venture to guess that if you're trying to be every, everything to everybody, you feel like you're a nobody. Then nobody sees you that are if they see you, they only see you as someone that they can get something out of and they don't really care about you. But I would deal with whatever you feel, okay? And take it to God because he understands. If you don't believe that, look at the way people treat God. He gives them everything, but do they acknowledge him? Do they love him? Some of them, but not all of them, right? So he understands. He knows. And another thing to ponder is this. Think about a positive, submitted relationship that you've experienced and what are the emotions prominent in that experience. Maybe you never have had a positive, submitted relationship. A positive, submitted relationship means that it's a relationship where you have chosen to be together and to work with another person and to, to be involved, to be honest, to be able to, to uh, share with one another. And, you know, it's hard to find in this world. 
Uh, one of the things in our life groups is we, we want to try to create an environment where that occurs, where that happens, but we don't do it perfectly. We, we've got ways to go because we all have ways to go in being this. But there is one person that I can guarantee you, if you want to enter into a submitted positive relationship, it will be a, a positive relationship. That's God. See, God is limitless in his goodness. And maybe even limitless is the wrong word. Maybe fully actualized. That there's no, uh, no goodness beyond God. God is the ultimate goodness. The fullest goodness. And so if you want to know what it's like to be in a positive, submitted relationship, I would invite you to receive the invitation God has for you to enter into that relationship. And maybe you're thinking, well, I can't really trust God. And you know what? He knows that. Or, you know, God, I trusted you before and I was disappointed. You know what? He knows that. But just like Barnabas with Paul kept inviting him, wanting to be involved even though he messed up and things, kind of made his reputation look kind of bad, maybe in some ways. He kept, kept at it. And that's what God does for you. There's the song we sang earlier, Reckless Love, right? That's what God is. He doesn't care what other people think. All he cares about is you. And in that, he invites you to receive a relationship that has no comparison in all of the universe. You will never find a person better than God to be in relationship with. So why don't we pray? All right.